I'm Hannah Young, and you're listening to The Caring Economy with Toby Isnick, sponsored by Philanthropic Impact. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen, wherever you are in the world. Welcome back to The Caring Economy with me, Toby Usnick. Today, I'm really excited to have as my guest the Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer from IBM. Her name is Carla Grant Pickens. We met this year at a LGBTQ luncheon organized by Her Majesty's government. And I was just so impressed with the work she's doing and IBM is doing, I thought we should have her on. Welcome to The Caring Economy, Carla. Thank you so much. And thank you for the invitation to be here. I'm excited to be, excited to be talking with your audience today. I try to be a brief introduction of you because you're just so accomplished and such an interesting person. Carla, as I said, is the Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer for IBM. She leads a global team dedicated to creating an inclusive culture and a workforce that reflects the world, while also responding to societal issues that impact IBM employees and the communities in which they live and work. During her 20 plus years at IBM, she has held roles in HR leadership, talent strategy and programs, and executive succession and development across the company. And she's also worked and lived both in the US and Asia. She holds an IBM patent, if you can believe that, we gotta hear about that, and prolific title of IBM inventor for workforce retention and compensation analytics. Prior to IBM, she worked in consulting at Oracle and Northrop Grumman. She sits on the boards of the Federal City Council and connected DMV and enjoys volunteering with youth in her area most notably as a member of the executive champion of the Carver High School P-TECH program in Baltimore, Maryland. And she's earned her BS in economics and an MS in human resources from the University of Maryland. So welcome again and thrilled to have you on board. One of the things that really impressed me from the start when we talked was just how, again, how accomplished you are, but how you're stewarding a great brand, IBM, through the times. I mean, when I was coming up, IBM was revered for sure, but it was also stereotyped as straight white men in white starch shirts, no loafers, suits, and that was about it. And then all of a sudden, it seemed like overnight it turned and completely opened itself up to the world, shed some products and whatnot. But why don't you just first tell us a little bit about you, and then I want to ask you to tell us a bit about IBM and its evolution. So Carla, we always like to start the show by asking our guests to tell us a little bit about his or her narrative. How did you get where you got? Maybe some of the pivots you took along the way, the mentors you had. So I really didn't have a clear path on what I wanted to do, what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I really wanted to explore. It wasn't um, something that I really thought I was passionate about per se. So I really explored a lot of different things, but I knew I wanted to be in business and I knew I wanted to lead and manage teams. And so I really started as, you know, my career doing contract work, government contracts. And I really did, I was able to really build some really core skills in consulting, management. And I began my work in doing my master's in HR. And this was where I became very interested in HR, but also am at the top of the Gen X crew. So from a Gen X perspective, technology was really, really becoming a big thing. So I was interested in technology. So when I went to PeopleSoft and Oracle, this is where I really got to deepen my skills around HR, um, but also to be able to work with clients and to really kind of deepen my passion around HR software implementations. I think that some of the inflection points for me and what when, when I really became passionate about HR is when I did come to IBM, although I started in software consulting in IBM, I actually had the opportunity 
Through a woman executive, I did an executive interview. I had a mentor that she assigned me to, and I was able to pivot to corporate HR. Mm -hmm. And that was when I, I would say I got pinched with the bug. I became really passionate about HR, became an HR business partner for the first time on a really large client project. And, and what I learned during my career in HR, there were just some real strong inflection points. Mentoring was really key, really networking and asking for help and having sponsors to get me to my next career move. But also I was able to do some key things. I was able to build skills with different roles that I had and talent. I was able to do an international assignment and get more of a global experience and lens. And I was able to really kind of grow, learning different aspects of HR, and of course, get to the to my dream job as CDIO. I would love to actually have you kind of describe that role for us because it's a fairly new role. I'd say in maybe the past 10 years or so, we see it more and more. At least that's my impression. How do you define your role for Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer? And, and how important is it for for the role within the strategy of the company? DNI space, you're right. You know, it's had an evolution. The officer role probably has become probably more formalized in the past couple of uh, decades. At, at IBM, we really view this role as a seat at the table. It is a role that is important because we believe that diverse and inclusive teams can really foster strong client interactions, more creativity, and stronger results. And so this is something that we've been really passionate about in decades, and this showed up in different ways. You know, it, it may have showed up initially with women having the right to work in large corporations and to, to be able to do various jobs as salespeople mm -hmm. and engineers and technical roles. It's about representing uh, people with diverse abilities. So being able to bring diverse groups from different aspects and walks of life who want to be able to compete and have an opportunity. And it's about really um, being able to support the underserved communities. And so we've advocated for that and advocated for d diverse and inclusive teams within IBM, really dating back over 70 or 80 years. And so this has been really part of the fabric of the company. My role is really focused on our strategy around key pillars of how we advocate for the rights of IBMers inside and outside of IBM, show up as allies, and how we also provide an inclusive employee experience for all IBMers. And then accountability, how we're going to hold ourselves accountable, be more representative around our strategy of really providing a more inclusive and diverse workforce. And how's it going? How ingrained is this sort of sense of diversity or commitment to diversity and inclusion within the culture for the average employee? I think we all have had an inflection point where we have taken a look after the murder of George Floyd in 2020. I think that a lot of companies did some reflection on how well they were doing in this space and made commitments. What we found was that we have been heavily involved in and advocating for partnering with a lot of organizations, but we really weren't talking about our philanthropic work. So we really anchored in around how we were going to use our brand. We decided we were going to focus on skills, continue to focus on skills and education, as well as uh, careers. And we were going to partner and advocate for equity and human rights. So, so those were the things we wanted to anchor on around good tech. You know, good tech companies 
to use their brand for, per- for a real purpose. And this is where we anchored in. And we're making progress. We are really focusing on building skills for hot, hot jobs in STEM. And there's a lot of opportunity in tech. So providing skilling and credentials and badges and opportunities to build those skills for jobs can change the trajectory of a person's life to be able to provide for themselves and their families. Indeed, I would layer into that and say that as someone said to me recently, I had to think about it, but it makes sense. Every company is a tech company now, really. You just need to have those skills. So even if you're quote unquote working in a tech company, That doesn't mean those skills will not transfer to other industries and other sectors. To the contrary, it's more business critical than ever. Yeah, you're so right. And that's why um, one of our programs that we're so proud of, P-TECH, is about that. We partner with all industries, a lot of different companies, because we know that, you know, industry skills as well as tech skills are really critical. And we know we can't provide jobs for everyone. And so P-TECH is really about working with secondary school education around the world schools to help prepare them for some of the technical skills and industry skills and hospitality and and finance Mm -hmm. across the service industry, um, the comm sector, and to be able to build those skills, core skills, tech skills, to be able to perform in jobs right away. And it's, it's really set up to help those who may not go after traditional four-year degree, but you can still get a competitive salary, equitable to uh, being able to grow those skills so that you can provide for yourself and family. So that's really the core of what we're doing uh-huh. in our programs. And is P-TECH, is it basically IBM employees volunteering or is it funding foundations or a little bit of everything? It is a little bit of everything. So um, the way that it works is we partner with governments and either their board of educations or if their uh, public school systems are localized in jurisdictions or provinces or, you know, different communities, we may even partner on the local levels. And it, it really includes academe and government and the board of education, maybe even uh, those heads of states in those um, various communities to be able to come together and to determine tracks and to determine the areas and focus um, that they want to build skills in because there's demand for jobs in that sector. We provide the mentors, we provide the curriculum, and we provide the tracks so the students can then intern at IBM or at our partner companies, get their associate's degree, which is a two-year degree or certification programs that readies them for these jobs as apprentice and then professional hires into these organizations. In terms of measurement, this is just one aspect of, of what you're doing in IBM, but would measurement be like the number of degrees that have been granted to your alumni or, or hours volunteered by your employees or dollars given, or how do you measure that kind of impact? So we measure it as, as just as you stated, those would be measures in addition to the number of job placements, as well as the decrease in like things like the secondary high school dropout rates. Like Mm -hmm. these students are actually graduating, some of which have been at risk. Some may just be passionate and interested in this space, or some may not have known much about the tech space. So Mm -hmm. it's really about getting people out of secondary or high school education, but providing an alternative. So it's being able to measure outcomes based on placement rates, decreasing high school dropout rates, but also being able to look at the retention of that talent within our organizations and our partner organizations and being able to grow their career. What a great legacy you're creating, both for you personally, as well as for IBM. 
Ladies and gentlemen, again today, we're thrilled to have Carla Grant Pickens with us. She is the Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer at IBM. Carla, I'd asked you at the beginning to tell us a little bit about IBM. Give us your sort of brief description of what IBM is today and maybe how it's evolved to become that. So many people know IBM, of course, as a PC company. And, you know, we have evolved. You know, our goal and our mission is to be the largest and the best AI hybrid cloud company. We provide our customers with cloud services and consulting services wrapped with our technology, our software technology. We have both private, public, and hybrid cloud solutions. And our consulting teams provide consulting, strategic consulting, and transformation for our clients and help them implement their solutions with IBM or our partner technology. And so that's who we are today. You didn't get there overnight. I mean, it, it really has evolved from the, I mean, just full disclosure, I'm friends with Olive Watsons, whose grandfather was, I think, the founder of IBM. And back <laughs> in the day, it was basically straight white men in suits that were running that company. I say that somewhat jokingly, but how did you get from that kind of monoculture to the diversity that's IBM today? Yeah. So, you know, it's so interesting because you're right. You know, IBM is on, in over like 150 countries. You know, we had over 500,000 employees, about 270 now, 270,000. And we, we just had a, a spinoff of Kindrel, which is a pretty large company that provided our infrastructure services for the company. And so we have evolved. You know, we are a company that really did focus more so probably in the U.S. around providing inclusive opportunities for people who are different from kind of the traditional businessman. And I think that where that purpose came, it came from Watson. You know, he wanted to provide opportunities for those who could think that were smart, provide skills, who were passionate about their work. And it didn't matter what your creed, your color, your background, your socioeconomic status, your religion, or your gender identity. He wanted great talent. And that's reverberated. And I think this strategy that we've had around ensuring inclusiveness and setting goals to ensure that we're providing opportunity is how we've become a diverse tech company. Mm -hmm. and, and we're really proud. We, we've published our ESG report. We have work to do. We published our ESG report where we provided a representation of women, for which we're almost at about 38%. The, the benchmark's about 38%. 0.5% of women in the workforce per the World Economic Forum. So we're, we're a little shy of, the, of that 38.5. We're, we're going to get there this year. We really are growing in, in the aspect of women, but also various minority groups. We're growing, but we have work to do. We're not at our aspirational goals where we want to be, but we're continuing to grow. And Carla, if someone wanted to see the Environment Social Governance or ESG report. What's the best way to find it or even to follow you? Is it Twitter, IBM.com? Or... Our ESG report is an integrated report around our environmental as well as um, equitable and our ethical impacts around the world. It could be found at IBM.com front slash impact. Mm -hmm. And it's an interactive experience. You can download the report and then you can see a lot of other details there at the site. I'm a big believer in leadership. I can tell from the time we spent together that you exude and actually are a great leader. How about when you get to IBM and the board level, how committed are they to ensuring success of all diverse employees 
for IBM. Are they themselves diverse? Yeah, so we do. We do have a diverse board. Our board partners with our CEO, Arvind Krishna. He partners with the executive leadership team, Arvind's direct reports. And they are really, have been really, really focused on diversity, you know, Pre-pandemic, we provide talent reviews um, with our board uh, several times a year, and it is a topic on the agenda in every board meeting. They can reach out to us. They, they come to IBM, they visit us, they can reach out and ask questions, and they are holding us accountable. And we've agreed with them. And this is our fifth year where we have set goals, where we are holding our ELT as well as our executives accountable to mm-hmm. improve our women representation goals as well as for some of our U.S. race groups for Black and Hispanic, which are our most underserved communities within the U.S., but also focusing in on a broader diversity global groups around LGBTQ+, and the initiatives we're doing in that space and people with diverse abilities as well. Would something like being on the spectrum fall into your remit? You know, we're reading more and more about how particularly high-functioning people on the spectrum are being chosen because of that, because they have such expertise around, say, math, quantitative things, but then it cuts both ways, right? It could also be exploitation. I wonder if that aspect of mental health factors into your DE&I work and how it manifests itself. First and foremost, you it, these are protected classes. You have to protect identity. And so we first make sure we focus in on privacy and confidentiality and non-disclosure. And it is the person who discloses, not anyone else. We provide safe places and spaces for these communities to come together, to share experience, to collaborate and to support one another. And we provide allies that also support the community and they have a voice to be able to come to us within DNI, within the organization to get the support they need. So we, we have really active programs for newer diverse community. We have active talent acquisition programs, and we have active programs where we bring them in for internships and opportunities um, to work as a cohort and to learn and grow. And then we place them in jobs that are a great fit for them. We also provide accommodations where needed. A person can identify as being neurodiverse or a person with a diverse ability or disability at the initial engagement in the employment process. And we provide accommodations privately with that candidate and it's undisclosed. But we also provide training with our managers on how to do diverse interviews with different groups. So they're able to be prepared. And so we walk them through that process. And then we have lots of advocacy groups that we engage with around the world to get access to this talent and programs to help them to be able to engage with us, come in as interns or professional hires Mm -hmm. and provide those potential accommodations that are necessary to set them up for success. I I love that, that you're also helping the bosses actually be better prepared to engage and understand and bridge because we need that, right? It's not, it shouldn't all be on the individual employees' shoulders to fit in. That's right. It's, it's, I'm sure you do 360 peer review as well with your appraisal process. You know, talking about tech in general, for me, I don't see any scandals bubbling up in the press with IBM. You know, every so often, Meta, Facebook, well, you'll hear about a group of disgruntled employees. I want to believe that's the case, but if and when that is not the case, how do you weed out, if you can say, or how do you, how do you course correct when something goes off the rails on the DEI front? 
I think that this DEI work, um, what I love about it across the tech community is that we want to all be successful in this space and we all want to learn from one another when things don't go well and when things go well, what's your best practices, what's working, what's not. And I think that what's really important is, you know, no company is going to be exempt from uh, challenges. It's the way you address the challenge. And we always start with the IBMer, and And that's, that's our people. We ask them and we co-create with them on what they want. Um, what, are, what are their expectations and what do they want us to do as a company? We go to the core of our values. We don't try to make it where we're thinking only with an outward lens. We're really thinking about how do we care for the IBMer first? What are going to be the actions we're going to take? Because we want to be able to have actions that we're going to be accountable for and that we'll be able to share progress and that it will make an improvement and it will have impact. So we really put it through that lens. But we also hear from our employees, they want to talk about the work that we do. So we make sure that when it is critical and important, we make a statement, but we don't necessarily just make a statement. We make a commitment to what we are going to do to impact that change. So we try to really align our brand with um, the things that are most important for IBMers and, and for our to advocate for. As we noted earlier, we're on the second anniversary of George Floyd's murder and Breonna Taylor and so many other lives. Is there an example there where I'm sure you had group conversations with employees around that? Is there an example of a commitment that came out of that specifically? Absolutely. So we, we actually worked directly with the Black community. We created what we called Embrace, Embrace Race. And, and out of that co-creation, we really focused in on specific areas um, for this community. So, so one was really around uh, advocating for uh, safety and advocating for police reform uh, within the U.S. And so that was something that, you know, IBM wrote a letter to Congress really, really focusing on that we do support uh, police reform. There was one area in particular around our facial recognition software that often is used with both Black and Brown communities in a negative way. So we took that software down for sale. This wow. was something that was important to our employees and so we no longer sell that sell that facial recognition software. So the, that was kind of key. Other big things was that, hey, you're a technology company. You can really solve some of these issues around bias. Like, why don't you? Why don't we use our brand to do that? And so we did something called Colorful Code, where we had programmers all over the world to help co-create with us programs, ideas around bias and social justice issues. And so we did a really great program around that with the Call for Code Org that created a lot of assets for free available for programmers and companies to download to really fight issues around bias. Another big area was, you know, our employees wanted us to learn together about race and identity and how we're different and, and how to be more inclusive and really training around bias. And so we actually worked with the partner and rolled out training around diversity of inclusion, around identity and race and bias. And we rolled it out to all of our employees and we did a manager workshop. So we really answered the call with our employees, but most importantly, they wanted us committed to growing representation of all diverse groups, women and people of color. This is the work we've been doing with our IBMers. Callforcode.org. Last question, and I'll let you have the last say. You know, too often I think it's changing, but too often I think the lament of an employer is, oh, we want to hire diverse talent, but the pipeline is just not full. 
And I always feel that that's a cop-out. We have to practice different ways of identifying talent. We also have to seed talent early on. Both the symptoms and the root causes, I think, need to be addressed. If you have any reflections, if you agree with that, or, or how you address that kind of lament from an employer. I think you're right. I think I call it the myth busters. Those are myths we have to confront head on. And I think it's about being intentional, Toby. I think if you are intentional, yeah. that you are going to create a strategy and a path to find out where that pipeline exists. And, and for us, you know, it is about going the, the places and spaces that you don't traditionally go to seek out talent. And it could be the location, it could be the unis and the colleges that you're going after. Are they representative of your society? And it's really working with nonprofit and academe to really figure out um, how to build the future talent pipeline in your organizations. And it does take work like everything. You have to have mentoring programs and internships and you got to engage talent early and you have to really be able to provide opportunities and you have to have people that look like the people you want to recruit at all levels of your organization. There's a ton of technical women out here, a ton of leaders, and there's a ton, a ton of talented, diverse talent all over the world. You just got to go where the talent is. There's so many people out here with great talent. They may not have had have the affordability to be able to go for a four-year degree, but there are some immensely talented people that can do a lot of great jobs. And over 50% of our jobs don't require a degree. This opened up the aperture for us to do a lot of work in our communities and to get a lot of diverse talent in. Ladies and gentlemen, I've been thrilled today to have Carla Grant Pickens on. She's the Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer at IBM. AI and hybrid cloud. AI leader. You get to have the last word. Any words of wisdom, pearls of wisdom, advice to either young careerists or maybe even disrupted seniors who are, you know, a bit dismayed by the the marketplace. Any words of wisdom or advice? This generation, the Z, the millennials, this is this is their workforce and they are strong and they are give a very, very good point of view of how do we become a society by which we can balance both work and life, but that we are concerned about the world's problems and how to solve them together. And so making your employer accountable for both um, not only the work that you do for them, but being able to show up in society and how we help everyone else. I think that's an important, important goal. Having purpose in society is an important goal. Look, this is a great opportunity right now to be able to grow in so many sectors, to become entrepreneurs, to give back through public service. So I think the world is the oyster of everyone to be able to show up in the way in which they can give back whatever they choose to do. But I do think it's really important for those that are listening that are leaders that you're willing to co-create because that is something that is really required with teams yeah. and that you are willing to be accountable and measure really impactful outcomes. And those outcomes include being a diverse equitable and inclusive organization. Thank you so much, Carla Grant Pickens, for joining us today. And I hope you'll come back and, and talk with us again. All right. Well, thank you so much. Really enjoyed the time, Toby.
we have to practice different ways of identifying talent. We also have to seed talent early on, both the symptoms and the root causes, I think, need to be addressed. But I wonder how, if you have any reflections, if you agree with that, or, or how you address that kind of lament from an employer. Yeah, I do. I think, I think we, um, I think you're right. I think I call it the myth busters. Those are myths we have to really um, confront head on. And I think it's about being intentional, Toby. I think if you are intentional, that you are going to create, um, you know, IBM uh, wrote a letter to Congress, really, really focusing on um, that we do support uh, police reform. Um, but there was one area in particular around um, our facial recognition software mm-hmm. uh, that often is used with um, both black and brown communities in a negative way. So we took that software down f- for sale. This yeah. was something that was important to our employees. And so we no longer sell that sell that facial recognition software. So the, that was kind of key. The other big things was that, hey, you're a technology company. You can really solve some of these issues around bias. Like, why don't you? Why don't we use our brand to do that? And so we did something called Colorful Code, where we had programmers all over the world to help co-create with us um, programs, ideas around bias and um, social justice issues. And so we did um, a really great program uh, around that with the Call for Code Org that created a lot of assets for free available for programmers and companies to download um, to really fight issues around bias. Uh, Another big area was, you know, our employees wanted us to learn together about race and identity and how we're different and and how to be more inclusive and really training around bias. And so we actually worked with the partner and rolled out training around diversity of inclusion, around identity and race and bias. And we rolled it out to all of our employees and we did a manager workshop. So we really answered the call with our employees, but most importantly, they wanted us committed to growing representation of all diverse groups, women and uh, people of color. So this is the work we've been doing with our um, IBMers. Very exciting. Can you say again the name of the program? Is it Cough Code? How's it spelled? It's, yeah, coughforcode.org. C-A-L-L for code. Yeah, amazing, amazing organization that does a lot of different tracks around how to use technology uh, to solve some of the world's issues. And we've done a couple of programs with them. Cool. I'm going to, we'll put a hashtag in when we post this interview. Uh, last question, and I'll let you have the last say. Uh, the last question is, um, you know, too often I think it's changing, but too often I think the lament of an employer is, oh, we want to hire diverse talent, but the pipeline is just not full. And I always feel that that's a cop-out, that it's just, we have to think, we have to practice different ways of identifying talent. We also have to seed talent early on, both the symptoms and the root causes, I think, need to be addressed. But I wonder how if you have any reflections, if you agree with that, or or ha- how you address that kind of lament from an employer? Yeah, I do. I think I think we. Um, I think you're right. I think I call it the myth busters. Those are myths we have to really um, confront head on. And I think it's about being intentional, Toby. I think if you are intentional, yeah. that you are going to create um, a strategy and a path to find out where that pipeline exists. And and for us, you know, it is about going the the places and spaces that you don't traditionally go to seek out talent. And it could be the location, it could be 
the unis and the colleges that you're going after, are they representative of your society? And it's really working with nonprofit and academe to really figure out um, how to build the future talent pipeline in your organizations. And it does take work like everything. And that means that you have to have mentoring programs and internships and you got to engage talent early. Um, And you have to really be able to uh, provide um, opportunities and you have to have people that look like the people you want to recruit at all levels of your organization. So I always do Mythbusters. I love it. There's a ton of technical women out here, a ton of leaders, and there's a ton, a ton of talented, diverse talent all over the world. You just got to go where the talent is, put together a plan of action and track progress. Yeah, you have to be intentional. I love that. Uh, I know just a position I just filled in my job is... um, we took out the requirement for a four-year degree. Amazing. You know, some jobs you might need to have that for reasons or an I, uh, you know, a MBA, but really I don't think that that's a uh, benchmark that necessarily helps in the end, so. It really doesn't, you know, I, I don't know the world's numbers, but you know, only about 45%-ish of Americans have a degree. So yeah. there's so many people out here with great talent. They may not have had have the affordability to be able to go for a four-year degree, but there are some immensely talented people that can do a lot of great jobs. And over 50% of our jobs don't require a degree. This opened up the aperture for us to do a lot of work in our communities and to get a lot of diverse talent in. How exciting. Um... Thank you for listening to The Caring Economy with Toby Usnick. Please share your comments and questions with Toby via Twitter at T Usnick or LinkedIn at Toby Usnick. And thank you for sharing the caring economy with your friends and colleagues.